Hello and welcome to this week's TES FE podcast. My name's Kate Parker and I'm here with Julia Balgatai. Hello. And this week with us we have Joe Grady, the General Secretary of the UCU. Hello. And so Joe, it's been um, a busy couple of weeks in education. What are your general thoughts about kind of, you know, the exams fiasco that's been playing out on our screens? It has been a busy few weeks. Um, the exams fiasco, I think, is one of the worst things I've ever witnessed happen to students um, that could have been prevented. I think is, is probably the easiest way to sum it up. Um, as, as people who are listening will know, this um, problem was highlighted to government sort of months ago when it was first suggested that um, the algorithm would include things like schools past performance and location of school. Um, UCU and I know other trade unions and the NUS all submitted consultation responses outlining just what types of problems this would present. The idea that it would really hardwire in discrimination. Um, and we've got closer and closer to A-level results day. Um, we saw what happened in Scotland. We saw the U-turn. Um, we saw Gavin Williamson on A-level results day sticking to his guns. We saw him saying some pretty objectionable stuff about how we couldn't um, go with the teacher's predicted grades because it would lead to grade inflation and students getting jobs that they weren't competent for. Um, and I think those words should haunt him because they're pretty disgraceful when we know that that algorithm baked in inequalities. What, what do you think uh, the feeling was among teachers at that point? Is that, I mean, it's not shouting, we trust teachers to do their job competently, is it, really? It, I think it's so detrimental to sort of the professional integrity of teachers. And as you say, I think it actually speaks volumes about the way in which um, the government view them. So we, was, we had a few of our FE members um, on, a, on an, a live event that UCU held in response to this fiasco. Um, one of our members, a woman called Lauren, who teaches up in um, Blackburn, and she was like, my students have been downgraded because they go to Blackburn College. You know, and really kind of laid it out just what this means for their life chances. And, you know, she was talking about how all of the grades that they predicted, like some of the really strong students had just been utterly downgraded. And, you know, the utter desperation that you got for them. And she was talking through specifically some of her students who had really challenging years, um, you know, really challenging personal circumstances, but had come through, had put the work in. And because they went to Blackburn College and because of, you know, whether it's the previous past performance or, or other assumptions to do with that school, they were downgraded because of that. And what's really disgusting about it all is the idea that the government had to take this step and it was courageous to take this step because if they hadn't we'd have had grade inflation and you know you think to yourself this year no data set will be normal every data set whether it's economic data will have a massive blip and when we look back in time we'll say that was 2020 but yet this kind of dedication to ensuring privilege in the education system they kind of had to ensure that students from deprived areas would suffer in order to keep the kind of data pure when nothing else this year is going to be. So yeah, staff were, I think staff were really distraught and, um, and have done their best to support students, but they know, you know, even though the government now have made spaces available for students to go to their first choices, 
a lot of them have missed out now and that that can't be resolved easily so the u-turn didn't save things then in your view the u-turn came too late to save things um, so universities moved very quickly as you would expect them to because they need certainty around student numbers they moved very quickly to enrol people who had the grades on courses by the time the u-turn came um, a lot of students or prospective students courses were filled up um, the government's tried to make more places available but it's just not going to be able to do that to accommodate all students and you can't magic halls of residence out of nowhere and um, universities spent all summer slashing staff because the government hasn't stepped in to underwrite the sector you know all of these completely pre predictable problems that the union said would happen are not just happening they're actually kind of happening in an accelerated manner because of continuous government confusion over grades and it's worth remembering as well because i think the class dimension you know the kind of classism and, and racism and ableism that ourselves in ucu and nus have been highlighting does play out even with this U-turn. So we had someone else in this live event, um, a woman called Delilah. She'd missed out on all of her places. And, you know, she was told, well, you can defer for a year or you can take a year out. And she was like, there's no jobs. There is nothing for me to do in this economy. Um, we know that I think employment's down by 750,000. We know lots of people are still on furlough. If you live in Bath, Bristol, Sheffield, Sunderland, you know, Glasgow, um, what are you going to do for the next year if you're 18? What job are you going to walk into? And I think this kind of assumption that people can just hang out at home or maybe get a job in their parents' workplace or maybe one of their parents' mates can offer them an internship. Like, these opportunities are not there for the kids who've lost out as a result of this downgrading and the U-turn's just not sufficient. So yesterday was GCSE results day and that was obviously quite different this year with students getting sent to assess grades and more students not coming into college to get their results. Um, what do you think the day was like for, for people working in FE? Yeah, so I think for people working in FE yesterday it will have been as busy as for admission staff who work in HE the, work the week before. Um, slightly more clarity because obviously they weren't dealing with the idea that there may or may not be a U-turn because they just took the decision. Um, but obviously it has led to, to more students being able to go to college, which is great. Um, but that's happening at a time when the sector has been on, you know, a decade after decade longs of funding cuts. Uh, I know we've had more funding recently, but it's not enough to address what's been lost. Um, lots of staff have left the sector in that time. Um, so we really need the government to step in and ensure a commitment to really increase funding in a genuine and meaningful way um, to ensure capacity and that no students left behind and I do think further education is fundamentally important all of the time I think in this moment colleges have such a huge role to play in our national recovery um, so as I say the, the funding now but funding that also acknowledges decades worth of cuts and where we've left FE since particularly 2009 this cohort of students and, and staff really deserve better and really need the, the government to adequately fund that sector. And is there anything else that you think the government need to introduce to kind of, like you said, you know, you were worried about students who may not have jobs to go to now for this next year. Um, you know, Rishi Sunak did announce the incentives for apprenticeships and things like that. But do you think that there's anything else that kind of needs to be introduced by the government to tackle, tackle all of this mess? 
I think the thing that could be a really sort of progressive conversation to start, um, I don't think the government would necessarily be on board with this, but let's use this space for a progressive conversation. Um, <clears throat> I think it's been made very clear um, that there are not opportunities for people to partake in in the next 12 months if they're young and will be taking education. Like that, It's just not going to happen. So at that point, government is trying to plug gaps in provision for education where they appear. Um, this is leading to lots of uncertainty about funding in colleges and universities. It's leading to um, colleges and universities acting in competition with each other rather than working collectively in a moment where actually that would make lots of sense. Let's say you don't get as many students in one college as you do in another. Well, if everybody was sort of sharing resources, that wouldn't be an issue if we weren't in competition with each other. Um, and I think that actually, if the government wanted to be really bold, um, stop duplication of workloads, stop needless competition, stop uncertainty about funding, stop threats of redundancy and staff cuts, they could just commit to funding the sectors properly. Um, especially, I think, at HE, that would mean just saying, if you want to go and study, go and study. Like, we are funding this sector. We have said that the fees regime in this country for a long time um, is dysfunctional. And especially at HE, the fees regime is driving the crisis that we're seeing now. Um, and I think it would be bold, but we see in other countries a, you know, a fully publicly funded university education system is achievable. Um, it would really ensure that anybody who's been left behind because their sectors collapsed during this moment could go and get education. Um, you know, it would be doing something really productive with people rather than them necessarily being sat at home with nothing to do and you know, potentially developing uh, mental ill health. Um, it will be a way for us to ensure a real skills-led recovery. Um, it, it just seems like such an obvious thing to do if you were willing to properly invest in education at both, and I think that's fundamentally an FE and HE level. You know, you think of the, the kind of skills that people can get at FE, um, the types of um, life-enhancing, but also community um, and, and, and economy-enhancing stuff that FE um, gives to, to the students who study there. Um, that would be the best thing, I think, to just sort of say, this, this needs to happen right now. So is that just a case of more money then, or is that also about giving the money to institutions differently? So would you see things like individual learner accounts have been floated around for, for years and years? Is it things like that? Is it about doing things differently, or does it require significantly more money, fundamentally? I mean, I think to, to, to fund education properly, I think we would need to see um, a different approach really to how we generate taxation income in the UK. Um, we don't tax, in my opinion, corporations anywhere near enough. Um, that would be a really obvious starting point. Um, we also, I think, could have a much more progressive approach to, to personal taxation. We have like two big bits and we don't really have any sort of sliding scale in between. Um, so I think that education should always receive more funding, but I don't think we're in a situation where we can't generate that income. Um, and I think what we see at the minute, again, both with colleges, um, but particularly with universities, because they are in such competition with each other for fee income um, in lieu of actual funding, um, they spend that money on things that aren't good for education. You know, they spend it on advertising. 
they spend it on marketing directors, they spend it on capital building projects that might look fancy in prospectuses, but usually are not actually that important to students or staff. Um, so I think if the sort of competitive element of education was removed, a lot of the churn of money that doesn't need to be spent could be channeled where it's needed. You talked yesterday also about sort of privatization of, of funding in, in education and the privatization of education and how students have, have suffered and you were linking that to what has happened with BTEC results this week and that 11th hour U-turn on, on people not getting results and other people's results being reviewed. Can you tell us a bit more about that? What are your concerns there? And obviously quite a lot of people of all ages are still waiting for, for their results there. Yeah, I think the, the privatisation and outsourcing of key functions related to education um, and other public services, but we're talking about education, is a problem because I think it um, supports the view that education um, is in some way a kind of a, a service like any other, that you can just kind of slice up bits of it and contract it out to the private sector. Um, you know, so we've seen this previously with exam boards, you know, and, and, and with these types of services as well. And maybe when everything's going well, that doesn't seem like a problem. But ultimately, as these results have shown, this is not just a kind of administrative process of data. This is actually the, the, the lives and futures of students. And in, in this instance, mostly young people at a pivotal moment in their lives. And um, it doesn't really seem to me that the private companies that have been involved are publicly accountable when this happens. Um, it's, not, it's really not clear to me how that works. Um, whereas I think, you know, if these things are kept as the property of the nation, um, I think that there's a, a, a public sector ethos in there where you actually are connected um, to the sector that you're providing that service for. And people know that you're the ones that are accountable. And I just don't think that that's clear with the way in which this is, this is played out and, and, and who owns the contracts. So what do you want to see now? What do we need? What needs to happen sort of urgently? In relation to the results? Yeah. I mean, it's a really big mess. Um, <laughs> in a way, the, the government have created a problem really that doesn't have an adequate or an expedient solution. And I think we need to kind of be quite honest about that. I think the government's failure to really be honest about that from the beginning has kept leading to more problems. Um, they have U-turned on things, but they've done it at the very last moment. And they've done it when consequences have already been laid at the feet of our most disadvantaged students. And, you know, not disadvantaged because they're at some sort of natural disadvantage, but disadvantaged because the system is established in a way that actually places them there. Um, and I think that's really important to lay out and remember because the solutions that have been put forward, particularly for A-level students um, since last week, is to increase places at first choice universities, to lift caps on certain um, degree courses to allow them to go there. But none of that has been accompanied by the package of support that's going to go to universities that are losers because they haven't attracted those extra students. None of this has been accompanied with what package of support is going to go to 
institutions um, that have got more students and how they're going to recruit more staff that have probably lost their jobs during this period. So every time the government does a U-turn and they come up with a set of new solutions, those solutions create a whole other raft of problems for which they haven't addressed how they will accommodate them. You know, so I was speaking with the university's minister yesterday and I was saying, what are the two pronged funding solutions you're going to offer to those two different types of universities? And will you please ensure that in any funding package, a commitment to keeping every job and employing people if it's needed rather than intensifying workloads is in there? And I didn't get that guarantee. And going forward, kind of, you know, this September was always going to be um, very different for, for staff, even without everything that's happened with exams. You know, are staff concerned about returning to work in kind of the post-COVID environment? You know, are staff coming to the union saying that they wish they could wear masks or visors? And, you know, what are the main concerns that they're, they're telling you about? Staff are incredibly concerned about returning to work. I think it's probably the highest concern alongside potential job losses of, uh, of UCU members right now. Um, obviously, they're concerned for their own health and safety. I think that's even clear, whether that's their commute to work, um, being in a college or a university. Anybody who, who knows the buildings and architectures of colleges and universities, they are just not fit for social distancing. Like, they're just not as workplaces. Um, but in addition to that, um, staff, whether they're teaching staff, support staff, library staff, really care about students. Um, and you know they're the ones that are thinking through how this will work in the classroom they're the ones thinking through how their students will fare getting into campus um, but also and I think this is you know maybe more on a university level they're thinking through why is this government currently taking steps that's going to encourage a million students to travel around the UK to relocate somewhere why on earth when we do not know what a second wave will look like, are we possibly thinking that's even a good idea to encourage? And at the minute, this mixed method of delivery that the government has encouraged universities to adopt doesn't make any sense because it means a million students still traveling all around the country. It means staffing all the time because it doesn't matter for you whether some of it's online and some of it's face-to-face, -face, you still need to attend your workplace means all of the other staff that support campuses have to be there all the time. So even though half of the, the education might be online, for all intents and purposes, campuses reopen full time again. And there's even sort of minor, well, not minor things, but other issues within this, such as lectures and the things that are going to be online <clears throat> and then um, seminars will be face to face. And you can tell that this has been dreamt up by somebody who isn't actually a teacher because lecture theatres, particularly in most universities, um, some of them can occupy up to 300 people. Well, you could do lots of socially distanced lectures in those lecture theatres. And instead, we've chosen to have seminars, which always happen in small rooms. Um, and the science suggests that the way in which the virus um, you know, can be contracted in smaller rooms, that you're more at risk. It's just None of this makes any sense. And when we as a union say it's because our members are not being consulted on the ground, nobody seems to listen. So again, I was speaking with the university minister and I was saying risk assessments are not being shared with campus unions. Universities are making measures to have people back on campus without fully negotiating with the campus unions when they're drawing up those risk assessments. And we are hearing horror stories about 
some universities insisting that the graduate teaching assistants who are precariously employed should be the ones to come back and do face-to-face -face teaching. You know, so a bit like we heard during lockdown, um, a hierarchy in the NHS as to who gets PPE. Those hierarchies of who gets secure employment in universities seems to be how they are saying or identifying people who they think they can put, you know, put leverage on to, to come back and work. Um, and none of this should be happening. Um, you know, if you look at other countries like Germany, where the, the government have moved in and said, this is the funding for the sector, this is the way we're going to continue for the next 12 months, that's meant that staff have been able to spend time really thinking about materials, thinking about innovative learning practices online, making sure you can employ everyone and keep a, an all-hands-on-deck situation. Our government have done none of that, and there's utter chaos everywhere. And... There might be big headlines about a U-turn on A-levels and creating extra places, but all that's done is transferred having to sort this mess out onto individual staff. I guess that problem is, is very similar then in colleges where you have a lot of practical subjects where people need to be quite close up, need to be in the room to actually see what's going on, or actually staff need to be quite well trained and quite well equipped to be able to deliver that remotely with you know, the technology that is needed you know, whatever it might be, it, it's quite a sort of diverse problem at that point. Yeah, it's really similar. Obviously, you know, in, in, in colleges, as you say, there's lots of sort of courses, whether they're, they're vocational, where you literally need to touch somebody, you know, like hairdressing, perhaps, and, and, and those types of courses. Or, um, and yeah, there's going to be challenges for some of those courses as to how they're moved online in this period, um, or how you might deliver some of them a social distance. Um, and, it, you know, that there may be that, as is happening in other sectors, that for a certain period, you have to develop innovative practices to do that. But you're only really in a space to take the time to deliver innovative practices if everybody has security of employment. And we don't have that in FE or HE. And that's the real problem. Um, education is not like any other business. Um, I know the government tries to treat it as such. So the kind of bailout packages that have been available don't work for education. It needs long-term planning, whether that's for how we're going to manage students or how we're going to recruit people who have to be very qualified. It, it just doesn't work in the way in which the approach to dealing with education um, has developed during lockdown and, and the government's response to COVID. And so what, what do you think colleges should be doing now, you know, to, to get ready for September and make sure that their staff and students are safe when they do return? From what I am aware of, from the feedback that I've received, um, colleges are doing quite a good job, I think, of actually working with their staff, um, of doing risk assessments, of thinking through how um, return to campus life will be. But I think that um, from our perspective, we want to see all of those kind of negotiations to happen with our campus staff. And I would like to see if colleges think that it's not safe to return, um, that they discuss what that looks like with their, their campus branches and they actually take steps to, to go back to online if that's what needs to happen and that people are not put in the positions of, of being on on campus or in their classrooms or, or in the office if it's not needed um, and a stronger steer I think um, about guidelines about what that looks like from government it really is required.
Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Um, we really appreciate it and we're sure that we'll hear from you and UCU as you continue to try and tackle this problem head on. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.